Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this bonus episode, you'll hear from Tracy Mayleaf, principal of Sherpa Intelligence LLC, aka InfoSec Sherpa on Twitter and Mastodon. Tim Helming and I talk with Tracy a bit about her background and her passions within InfoSec. This bonus episode of Breaking Badness is next. Well, welcome to our special episode of Breaking Badness, recorded on July 28th, 2023. With us today is Tracy Mayleaf. We are also joined today by Domain Tools Security Evangelist, Tim Helming, and I am your host for today, Callie Fensel. With that, welcome to the podcast, Tracy. We are very excited to have you today. Well, something that selfishly brings me a lot of joy in this series on our podcast is understanding our guests' personal journey into security. And oftentimes these are nonlinear given how this industry is. Um, so with that in mind, and and Tracy, you had mentioned this to me before, uh, that there's a lot of people in the industry that probably know that you were a librarian before uh, you joined the InfoSec <laughs> yeah. world, but I didn't know that. <laughs> so um you know, I'm sure if people are listening, they're like, Callie, we know this already, but I didn't. So very briefly, could you just kind of give us a rundown of, of what that was, what that was like and, and when you knew it was time to pivot? Because I think for sure. Yeah, there's there's probably people that are just like, you know, I don't know if those people are listening to this podcast yet, but they're probably like, I'm in a different industry. And how, how do I do that? Yeah, I really want to speak to career changers because they have a lot of transferable skills that can be useful in information security. So uh, my specific story is I had pretty much gone as far as I could go in my library career. The only only run up on the ladder was director, and that's really just more, you know, more management, not doing research and not doing the service part of librarianship that I enjoyed. So I really had no interest in that. Um, but it got to the point where it got me very sad because I had worked so hard to achieve a, a good career in librarianship. And then you get to the top of that mountain and you're like, oh, this is it. So uh, I you know, I had to commute in and out of the city of Philadelphia on the train. So I remember reading an article in Entrepreneur Magazine. It said, how to future-proof your career. And that was something of, of great concern to me was the future-proofing because what was happening around this time, this would have been uh, 2014, um, you know, the uh, uh, you know, the economy was going up and down in specifically in Philadelphia. A lot of law firms were either closing or merging which meant there was a lot of librarians with my same skill set <laughs> out on the street, you know, looking, we're all fighting for the same jobs. Uh, so, you know, longevity and security were, were, you know, optimal for me. So this Entrepreneur Magazine article had a tip that said, look back at all your past jobs. And if you didn't have that many jobs, maybe look back to your past classes and find the common threads. Is there a thread that ran through all of them of something that inspired you, something that you enjoyed, something that interested you? And when I sat and had a really good think about it, I realized it was tech. I was the one in different jobs, either fixing the printer or in one job, I found this back channel email network that nobody knew existed. <laughs> um, I, I always just kind of got into the, the technical 
things. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, oh, I should probably start to look at tech. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did that, except that the tech world, I didn't like it. I would go to meetups. I would go to workshops and meeting a lot of like, you know, front end designers and and everything was just very um, superficial. I'd go to these meetups and there'd always be people there who would who'd want to talk to you only long enough to find out whether you had money to invest or you had an idea. Oh. And that was just very frustrating to me or just having people uh, go on and on about, you know, UX and UI. Uh, and I know those are important, but, you know, just I couldn't have like an hour long conversation about it. It was, right. <laughs> it just wasn't my jam. And I just didn't really feel like I was gelling with these people. And it wasn't until someone said to me, um, you know, let me tell you what the back end of security looks like. You know, you're talking to all these front end people. And yeah, that kind of changed my world. I was introduced to the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. Mm -hmm. They had a two-part workshop, uh, Cybersecurity Fundamentals. I took that. They had me at port scanning. I wondered where this had been all my life. And that's when I turned cybersecurity into my quirky hobby and took that back with me to the law firm. And I reached out to the CIO in September 2015, said, how can I help with Cybersecurity Awareness Month next month? And to which he replied, what's Cybersecurity Awareness Month? <laughs> so oh, the I, irony. Yeah, exactly. So I, on my own, created this five-point plan. I did a little, little PowerPoint, threw a little PowerPoint together of what I had in store. And he loved it, put me in charge of it. Remember, I was still a librarian at the law firm. And he said, I'm going to have somebody from marketing and somebody from the help desk report to you and, you know, look through all your stuff, like the help desk to make sure that the technical part was right, marketing, because they knew all the do's and don'ts about doing internal communication and things like that. Uh, so that year, there were five Fridays. So each Friday, we had, a, I created a different infographic. Well, I just said the marketing person did the graphic stuff. I just created all the uh, content for it. And each Friday, an infographic went out. Uh, some of them, the themes that I remember was, uh, you know, the perils of free Wi-Fi or, you know, phishing emails, don't be a great catch. Like in hindsight, it I know it's really basic, but at the time I thought I was doing like groundbreaking <laughs> stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I loved it and I really liked it. And then November 1st came around. I asked the CIO what else I could do. He said, you can do that again next year. And uh, my worn out joke is I tasted the blood of security and I wanted more. So that's when I started to plan my exit and I created Chirpa Intelligence, uh, you know, as a business so that I could still earn income as I was trying to study to make this career leap because I knew that I couldn't just go, you know, apples to apples. I couldn't just, I, I knew that there was going to be some study and some, you know, learning curves involved and things like that. So that's when my husband and I were, you know, communicating a lot, figuring out, you know, finances of how can I quit my job? learn cybersecurity, and then do a new career. Uh, so, But I did it. So, yeah, I created this Sherpa Intelligence LLC, which is still active. I just kind of keep it around, you know, for for when things come up. But, yeah, I, I spent a year and a half uh, immersed in 
you know, doing freelance work, going to every conference I could, going to meetups, reading everything, listening to podcasts, taking you know, taking courses, workshops, you name it. And finally, after a year and a half, I was able to get an entry level sock job. And that's, that's how my career started. So it was a lot of perseverance and just sheer will (laughs) to make this happen. And uh, somebody said to me, um, when I was in this process, uh, someone I'd known for a while said, you know, when you get something in your head, you're like the Tasmanian devil. And we all just kind of watch you go. And my sister said something to me when I was first starting this journey, she said, you know, well, you know, you're good at whatever you attempt. So I know this is going to work out. So I guess that's why I didn't have any real fear. Cause people asked me like, well, weren't you scared? Or, yeah. Like, I was like, no, cause I, I don't know why, but I just knew that library science skills would be useful and needed in information security. People ask me all the time, how did you know that? I don't know. I just, it was just an instinct. And that's what I've brought with me. And I've given talks and podcasts and written things, you know, bringing over library science, uh, you know, techniques and thoughts and things like that. And I've seen, you know, the conversation of empathy in in InfoSec, you know, gone up exponentially since I've been in the industry because I'm not afraid to talk about it. We, you know, to me, security at the heart of security is a human. I know some people will argue, no, it's zeros and ones. And okay, but somebody had to create that worm. Somebody had to create that malware. Um, You know, they're, they're people that have, you know, they have flaws and psychology and things like that. And, you know, we're a lot, I, when I first joined, you know, InfoSec, just the community, you know, saw a lot of the user shaming and user blaming. And that's just not really what it was like as a librarian. I mean, sure, there there were some anonymous librarian Twitter handles or blogs that would make fun of patrons, but I was surprised to see it's so outward and so vocal. And yeah. was, people didn't people didn't seem to have any embarrassment or reservation to like openly mock users. And I kept saying to people like, you know, they're the reason why we have a job, right? <laughs> like, like you, we need to get, you know, and if you, and, you know, stupid is as stupid does from Forrest Gump. Um, yeah. You know, if you keep, if you, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you just keep telling the users that they're dumb and stupid, they're just going to, you know, act like that. Cause that's what, you know, they, that's what they think, you know, you, you're ex- expecting of them. So I just, yeah, kind of burst onto the scene and said, I have a different way of thinking about things. And that's, and that was what, six, seven years ago. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm glad you're uh, carrying that message forward. That's something I really believe in too. I I think that um, folks that are defenders um, really have an opportunity to think of users as their extended eyes and ears uh, in the environment. Exactly. Instead of, exactly. You know, instead of just a liability. Yeah, I, I mentioned that a lot. I was like, you know, these people are our foot soldiers. They're the infantry. They're out there seeing these phishing emails or texts or calls in the wild. And if they don't feel comfortable approaching security, then that doesn't do us any good at all. And I I often give the example when I give my empathy as a service talk of I would rather be approachable. Approachability is one of those tenets of library science. It's called the reference interview. 
I'd rather be approachable and have to eat my lunch at my desk because a user reached out to me at 11.55 a.m. and, you know, before my noon lunch and, and, you know, reported a problem. I'd rather work through lunch than that user not feel that security was approachable, not say anything. And then at 4.59 of a holiday weekend, all of a sudden the, uh, you know, the alerts and the logs are blowing up. And when I put it that is when that always happens. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I came up with that scenario to get it through the heads of people who think very technically of trying to get them to understand that if you have a little bit of humanity and approachability, it can actually cause, you know, cause you less work in the long run Mm -hmm. and getting people to understand that. And that was actually something that I won't say which job, but one of my jobs, the, uh, the powers that be actually didn't like that I was so approachable. They had certain, because they had certain ways in place that they wanted users to report things. But too many of the users said to me, you know, I don't feel comfortable, you know, reporting it that way. I just like, and some of them, like, I just feel like the team, you know, some said, I feel like the team is mean, but not you. And people would come to me directly and yes, they would bypass. So it was like shadow security (laughs) in a way. But what I never understood was I still logged it as a ticket. I still, it wasn't like I was doing stuff on the side and not letting the security team know. I created a ticket, Jira ticket. You know, I still documented it. I just acknowledged that they came to me directly. And in one role that was considered a problem. Uh, despite how many times I tried to explain to them how many problems I avoided because people only wanted to come to me for some really serious issues. <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, it's it's kind of been an uphill battle. But again, I, I guess I'm either stubborn or not well, but I will still continue <laughs> to harp on about um, you know, the need for approachability and the library science skills, the liberal arts skills, just and the human skills. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to you for that because, um, you know, like I've, I've mentioned, I'm newer to the industry and I actually, you know, fell for a phishing thing on Facebook recently and I'm so embarrassed. And one of our practitioners, I, I told him about it and I'm like, I'm so embarrassed. I should know better, but I'm it was, it was one of those posts where it's like, so, you know, somebody near you has died. And I was just like, oh, there was a shooting, of course. Uh, and I'm also yeah. nosy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I click on it and I'm just like, that was, that was wrong. And he goes, you shouldn't feel bad. Like this can happen to anybody. And yeah. I was so grateful for that reaction because I was just like, I, I can't, I feel so dumb right now. But I think, you know, people like you introducing empathy and approachability, like, that's that's everything. Yeah, we need to take the shame and mocking out of incident reporting because what what good does it do? Well, Tracy, uh, in your time, you know, since you've made the pivot to InfoSec, you know, you've probably we've talked about different myths or, you know, different, you know, stereotypes. But is there something that you've seen that that you'd like to to bust for for people listening? Uh, a couple of things. Um, and again, speaking to uh, you know civilians, to the the uh, people outside the industry, um, I think one is just people don't think they're a target, or that they could be a target. They, I, I think that's changing a little bit, but like there's a, a relative 
in the family who, you know, said to who she, we were out at a restaurant and she randomly connected to some, just like whatever Wi-Fi was open. And I'm like, please, please don't do that. Please don't do that. And, and her response was, if they want my dog photos, they can have them. And I'm trying to explain to her, like, no, you work for a pharmaceutical company and I can see from across the table that you have your work email on your phone. Um, you know, like, like people seem to not understand the value of the data that they hold on their devices. Mm -hmm. And to them, it might just be like, you know, pet photos and, you know, Groupons and, you know, Instagram and all the, but it's like, do you have your work stuff on your phone? <laughs> do you yeah. have, you know, do you have other data? Um, so I guess that that's one of the, the myths. Um, or I guess the biggest myth is um, how, or maybe it's not so much a myth, but a, like a misunderstanding of how easy it is just to find out where you are from a photo. <laughs> um, a story I can tell, again, I won't give any specific details, but somewhere where I was working, uh, one of the things I was tasked with was checking out the executives of the company on social media to make sure they weren't divulging you know, too much. So anyway, so the, the one thing that I did was one of the executives posted a, a photo, didn't say where it was, just said, um, this is where I'm, I'm hiding out during the, the pandemic. And I want to say it took at most 20 minutes for me to get the name of the tiny town in the Midwestern state where they were staying um, only from a photograph that had no metadata because it was on Twitter and Twitter strips metadata only just using, and I did, and I, I used some graphic image searches, but they didn't come back an exact match. So I honestly was doing word searches. I was typing in phrases that described the photo mm -hmm. and was able to piece together you know, based on some other things where they were. And so, yeah, when I came back 15, 20 minutes later with, you're in small town, Midwestern state. And they're like, how, what? How did you, like, yeah, take, take the photo down now. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't take me that, like in the grand scheme of things, it didn't take me that long to figure out where, where you were. And I, I was also just being extra cautious because I wanted to be right. I didn't want to go back to them and be wrong. So it probably was, you know, it was even less, but I was being mm -hmm. very methodical. I don't, so the, my point is, I don't think people fully understand how there's people with that skill set who can do that and right. how that can impact you. And again, it goes back to that, that, um, that myth that people live under of, you know, well, I'm not important to anyone. No one's interested in me, but you never know. You never know what's going to catch someone's eye or, or what. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the myth. I'm, and I guess the last myth that is, is then people who have just given up, who oh. just say, well, I'm just, you know, criminals are just going to have all my information anyway. You know, why should I care? And that's hard. That's hard to get someone to care when it's like, oh, I've already had my identity stolen, you know, or I've already been in 18 different breaches so, and then, yeah, trying to talk them into doing, you know, 2FA <laughs> after they've been worn down, like, okay, you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you, 
you're right. Well, thank, thanks for that, Tracy. That's a, that's a <laughs> lot of good info. Um, and I just want to say, Tim, I feel like Tracy and I are doing a lot of the talking. Would you like to ask? <laughs> would you like to ask a question? <laughs> so, Tracy, uh, according to nothing less than the New York Times, it sounds like uh, not so long ago you had the goal of doing the uh, CISSP or the <laughs> Certified Information System Security Professional exam. So can you share a little bit with folks? Because there's probably folks that are listeners who might be interested in doing that um, and or who did do it and love comparing notes with others. Um, what was what was prepping for that like? Well, I haven't actually taken the exam yet. <laughs> so um, I, I took a, a course through Penn State. Actually, I have my Penn State shirt on Ooh. today um, to prep for it. Uh, and for reasons that I don't really recall at the moment, I did not follow through. I'm I'm a very nervous test taker. Uh, so I will do anything and everything to postpone <laughs> things. Um, so no, I, I still have it on my to-do list. Um, what I, what I can say about the, like the process that I went through that, that course, the prep course for it, I, I was surprised, like I had heard before that it's a mile wide and, and I understood that, but you, you really understand that when you, you get into, um, you know, the classes, you're just like, oh yeah, this is like a little bit of everything, which on the one hand suits me well, because as a law firm librarian, I had to be like that. Yeah. I had to know uh, a little bit about a lot of different things uh, because of all the different stuff we came across the, the library. So, so that part didn't surprise me. It actually felt kind of comforting. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of it too, is you have so many people who just mock that certification because there's a, there's a whole camp of people in infosec who love to mock and you know uh just speak poorly about any cert certification especially the the cissp so that also kind of gets to you too of like well is this even worth it you know um you know i i know that like every job anymore seems to list it <laughs> as a as a requirement but i know that that's out out of control and not really accurate uh so i still plan to to do it um i also think i mean and this is designed for a reason right you can't sit for the exam unless you've had 5 years of experience i also think that you know the the amount of time that has lapsed since I I did take the prep class has just kind of even made me better prepared for it because I've experienced more. Because I think that was also some of my my trepidation going through the training class was some of the the scenarios I wasn't familiar with yet because I hadn't come across them. Uh, so I think it's probably in hindsight is probably as best that I waited. But I am currently studying for a SANS cert. Um, the GCTI, I think it's called. It's the Threat Intelligence Certification through SANS, GIAC. Uh, and, you know, I'm sitting for that in September. Uh, and I can't get it extended again, so I need to do it in yeah. September. <laughs> yeah, the only yeah, thing it, I hear people mocking uh, uh, SANS about is the price tags. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, the quality is excellent. Well, I, I'm with you in that I've known, well, first of all, I don't have a CISSP either. Um, and uh, I have known a lot of folks in this industry who are 
amazing at what they do who don't have certs like that. And that's not to say that that's not me bashing the certs because I think there's, there's a lot of folks for whom that's a really valuable way to start to expand their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the be all end all. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, yeah, I, I, and I, I know that ISC squared has done some pro made some progress of trying to get it out there of like, look, this isn't an entry level sort of thing. Uh, because true story, when I was still librarian, you know, kicking around going to meetups, cybersecurity meetups and things, I would run into a lot of, you know, senior people in the field who would just say to me, oh, just go get yourself a CISP and you'll be fine. And so first of all, I'm like, CISP, what, it, what are you talking about? <laughs> but then just they would say it just so nonchalantly, like I could just go to a supermarket and get one. And that mindset in the in the community and the industry is very dangerous because it's just you know oh just just get this and you'll be fine and i mean and they're they were telling me this without any tech experience whatsoever just oh just do that and you'll be fine well that's no that's terrible advice take what you said before and uh apply the logical conclusion that's that's like saying just develop knowledge that's a mile wide and an inch deep and you'll be fine well (laughs) yeah you might be fine, depending on what you want to do, and you might really not be. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Black Hat is coming right up as we record this. Mm-hmm. And um, you have previously done a know-before-you-go presentation uh, around the uh, topic of Black Hat. So for folks who weren't able to see that presentation, can you give us a little, uh, a, a little summary of what you talk about there? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I try to do this every year about six weeks before uh, Hacker Summer Camp. Uh, and I and the reason why I started doing this is because before my first Hacker Summer Camp in 2016, people either intentionally or unintentionally, you know, scared the, the crap out of me. <laughs> um, you know, th- I, I had people with a straight face say things to me like, don't bring any credit cards, bring a burner phone you know, bring only cash. And I'm like, how am I supposed to get on an airplane and go across the country and check into a hotel without any credit cards, any ID or anything? Um, so it was basically just a lot of practical stuff, even um, very basic things about hydration, like reminding people you're going to be in a dry air conditioned inside and a hot, dry outside. And you're not going to necessarily feel it, but I almost passed out. I, you know, I got overwhelmed one year and, uh, and somebody quick thinking brought me a bunch of oranges, like, uh, clementines because they, like, I, they were just like, here, there's water in these, you know, eat that. And for um, blood sugar probably. Yeah. It, it, and things like that. So just obviously like physical safety tips. Um, one of the, the big tips that I recommend that I do myself is to have, a buddy, uh, even if it's just via text. So for example, my, you know, I'll text my husband and I'll text him things like, you know, I am leaving my hotel room for the day. And it's not like I'm waking him up because, you know, living East Coast, it's, you know, he's already started his day. So I'll tell him, you know, when I've left the hotel room for the day, or I'll tell him or text him, you know, I'm in for the night. And that's our little safety thing too of, 
you know, like, it's also like, if I don't answer then, and he knows that I'm in for the night, well, maybe I'm sleeping, you know, things like that. So he doesn't have to worry. And I tell people that it's, it's, and it's good to have someone at home doing this because a buddy who's also out there with you is going to be busy doing their own thing and not necessarily, uh, you know, paying attention to you. So, uh, but, you know, having a roommate and, and obviously the, this is a lot towards, you know, women because there's, uh, you know, but I mean, guys can do this too. It's also good for guys to be mindful uh, of, of where you are. So things like that. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of it sounds really, I'm, I'm thinking of the things that I said, and it sounds really silly that you have to tell people this, but I don't, unless you've been out there, it's hard to comprehend the magnitude of this event. Uh, so simple things of like, I'll say, I don't care how cute your shoes are. Do not bring new shoes to this. This is not the time to break in anything. You need comfortable shoes. Um, you know, I know it's Las Vegas, but you know, you don't want to be, you know, a lot hobbling around with blisters and, and things. Cause, and, and I know this might, and it sounds really simplistic, but again, it's just things that you don't think about because, you know, hacker summer camp is just this, this gigantic, you know, string of events. And it's really hard to comprehend. It's, it's, it's hard to understand if you haven't been out there, what it's like to have events at one end of the strip versus the other, you know, like, because there are some of those days where the conferences overlap mm -hmm. and it's like, well, you know, I've had people say to me like, oh, well, I'm going to pop down to black hat and then go do to the, I'm like, you know what the traffic's like on the strip. <laughs> and like, that's going to be caught. That's going to be like a $30 Uber ride if you're lucky. And it's going to like, you know, time management and, and things like that. And understanding that you might have to wait in line and figure out, you know, what you should wait for. If yeah. something, if you know something's going to be recorded and available later, but something else isn't going to be recorded, then like go to the one that's not going to be <laughs> recorded. Uh, so kind of things like that, just um, some very, you know, very basic, you know, it's very little infosec knowledge because mm -hmm. that's, it's more about trying to handle yourself at a big event. And I just, I, I just felt compelled to do it because I, in hindsight, got so mad at people giving me bad advice. I mean, it got so bad. I was so anxious and nervous because people were just giving me just the worst, scariest advice that my husband actually said to me at one point. He's like, should you not go? This sounds really dangerous. And then, you know, and now I laugh, like thinking of what it was. But yeah, I mean, I didn't know. I'd never been out there. He only knows what I'm telling him. And I'm, I was getting people telling me all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so yeah, he was getting genuinely concerned. I would be concerned. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing I tell people is I said, I know I sound like a wet blanket, but nothing good ever happens after midnight. You do not need to be in the casino after midnight. Like just go to, go to your room, get, you know, go, go to bed. Um, you know, bad decisions happen after midnight. You know, you're going to be tired. You're probably not going to be as vigilant for, for stuff. So yeah, I, I do realize that a lot of the tips that I give sound, you know, very old lady and, and whatnot. But I, I, you know, I, I said on, on the call, like, you know what gives me like some of the greatest joy is being in my super cold air conditioned hotel room in Vegas. And, you know, back bef before Twitter was, you know, usable, uh, just scrolling through Twitter, you know, 
and just watching and then just kind of seeing what everybody was up to. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that because I was cool and comfortable in my room and I still got to have an idea of what people were up to. And I know that doesn't sound like a great night for a lot of people, but for me being out there is all just about you know, safety and, you know, professional networking. And, and again, reminding people, you may have to introduce yourself to people. Like, don't go all the way out there and don't mean anyone new. Then, like, what's the point right. <laughs> of it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I just kind of want to, you know, maybe we'll wrap up with um, something that you're passionate about within the industry, um, which is, you know, burnout and helping and how to help colleagues, you know, overcome that is, is uh, if that's something we can talk about, like what, what tactics have helped you or, or what advice do you have for others? Oh, I didn't realize that was something I was known for. <laughs> I didn't realize we, we talked about it on the phone. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I forget. Um, it's, it's something that I just, uh, how can I explain? Okay, let me start by saying this. There, there's a famous expression of, uh, goes something like, sometimes you have to plant trees under whose shade you'll never rest. And that's what I feel like I'm doing for the, the InfoSec community are trying to do right now is I realize that there are things that I might never benefit from. And that's fine because I want the InfoSec community to be strong and keep going, even if I'm not either, you know, around anymore or just not, you know, working in it. And one of that is, you know, we, we do a lot of work to bring people in and entice people to come in, you know, join, you know, come to the dark side. We have brownies, you know, sort of thing. But I've noticed over the years, we seem to do very little for retention. Uh, and we need to be better at that. And so by retention, I mean things like, yeah, like recognizing burnout, addressing burnout. Um, you know, the mental health hackers do great work. Um, not being afraid to bring up things of like, okay, I'm really overwhelmed right now, uh, you know, and and I guess just kind of mirroring what's kind of going on in, in the world, right? You know, with, um, you know, I'm proud to say the senator from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, uh, you know, had a very public, uh, you know, mental health uh, ordeal that he went through. Um, and yeah, that's very scary because there was a time not too long ago that that would be career ending, right? Right. Um, so basically, yeah, I just want to make, because I also think that's what comes, that kind of going full call back to the beginning, kind of going full circle here. When InfoSec people like to, uh, so yeah, for for uh, Callie, who's a former comedian, a callback, if you will, <laughs> to, <laughs> to the beginning of people who are mean to our end users. Well, they might be mean because they are frustrated and burned out and upset, you know, themselves. So that's what happens, right? Is that you take it out on someone else. So that's, you know, when I realized of addressing retention and burnout will also indirectly help the other issue that I'm concerned about is about the way that we deal with end users. Uh, so yeah, just making people, you know, be okay with the word empathy, you know, you know, may, trying just even 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 the title of that talk that I came up with empathy as a service like getting people to accept that as something normal like oh yes we should have these other feelings and other other things involved in infosec and uh yeah that that just and it, it interests me because you know you don't want people to uh you know become 
you know, chemically dependent on something right. uh, or, you know, heaven forbid, you know, more drastic measures because it's happened. And, you know, we want to keep our community strong and healthy. And, you know, yeah, this this industry is like a fire hose, you know, and, you know, the, I came from, so I, I gave this analogy when I was leaving law library world. I said, you know, law firm, you know, legal world is kind of like, you know, maneuvering a cruise ship. It doesn't go very fast and it doesn't really, you know, angle very quickly. Uh, whereas coming into InfoSec, it is just the rapids, you know, all the, all the time. And it also very much feels like Sisyphus. People a lot of times will ask me, what's it like to work in cybersecurity? And I'll ask, are you familiar with the tale of Sisyphus? And for those who don't know, it's the person who was doomed uh, for for his 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 days to uh, unsuccessfully roll uh, a, a stone up a mountain, or not a stone, but a big rock up a mountain and was never successful. That's right. what InfoSec feels like. And I know to some people that might make them recoil and be like, ooh, why would you want to do that? Well, I don't know. That's just what, <laughs> that that part doesn't bother me because I know that there are ways, you know, that you can talk to people and decompress and you, you can do a lot of good. And that's why I like to do a lot of mentoring. And again, I, I see myself as, you know, vir virtually planting seeds. I'm like the Johnny Appleseed of InfoSec of, you know, I want people to embrace different ways to problem solve that in involves more humanistic qualities and or understand when they need to back away um you know from from something maybe they're they're taking too much on i mean i'm i'm i should look in the mirror too there's i can't take on any other mentees at this moment i have people asking me all the time oh. like i i can't i can't take on any more oh, people what what an honor though that so many people reach out to you though it is and i feel terrible saying no to them but i i basically try to explain to them like you know, it's, if you want quality, <laughs> then, you know, I, I need to, it's quantity over quality. And I, I'm at the, I'm just at a good point where I'm like, I can give quality mentoring to the folks that I have. But if I start to bring on some more, it's going to be, it's not going to be good. And then it's, it, then, then why, then why, you know, do that? So, yeah, so that, that's kind of where that all comes together. I, I feel strongly about making sure that people are okay with, with their, you know, with their mental health during this career. Um, Cause there, there's a lot here, you know, st stuff is always happening. We don't have a downtime. Right. I can't, you know, like at least with like with tax, with, with tax accountants, right. You have tax season, and you know it's always the same time every year well we don't and you plan ahead like i i remember working with the tax attorneys you know there would be times of the year where they were just twiddling their thumbs and hanging out but then you know taxi man january comes around and they were working you know 14 hour days but you knew that stretch of time every year was your busy time or like retail right. you know the the christmas eve but we don't we don't have that and it's just season we don't have a season. It's I mean, all the we're, seasons. we were always in fashion, but, but that's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I think we should, I think we should end with the most important topic of all. Yes, we should. I know, our, what, I know what it is. <laughs> so uh, Tim, are, are you Hungarian by any chance? I am not, but I'm, oh. I'm really fascinated as to where this is going. <laughs> 
Tracy and I are both Hungarian. <laughs> so this all started by us having a lovely conversation with Callie. And then by at the end of the conversation, because in the back of my head, it was like, ask her, ask her, ask her, ask her. So my, um, my Hungarian spidey senses were tingling. And I'm like, by any chance, are you, do you have Hungarian heritage? And she was like, I do. How do you know? And I'm like, I clocked that last name as Hungarian as soon as I saw it. And Tracy's the first person I think I've ever met that like knew that right away. Like normally, um, well, first of all, everybody thinks I'm Kaylee. And then they're like, Kaylee Fankel. And I'm like, no, that's not it. <laughs> You're not, uh, you're not right. I'm not, but it's like, yes, yeah, it's a, it's a, would you say it, is it a common Hungarian name? I'm not sure. Like every oh. time I go, like there's a Hungarian cemetery um, in Cleveland and there are lots of fencils in there. Yeah. Hungarian is a, is a different, it's interesting, you know, nationality. It's, it's yeah, not super well known, no. um, but you know, our food is amazing. You know, we have, I, I grew up with paprika or a paprikash, as I say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. on everything. My husband is like, does paprika have to be in everything? I'm like, yes, <laughs> it does. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's always exciting to come across another Maggie. Even dessert? I don't know. Oh, like, I, did Dob- you say Dobush Col- torta? Um, is are Col- it, is- are those? That's specific? Czech. They're Czech. Okay, that, yeah, one, that's my other half. <laughs> Dobush, yeah, Dobush torta is a famous Hungarian dessert. Um, um, the the poppy seed and walnut rolls, the um, oh, yeah. Mako, and makos. My grandma made um, those. Yeah, Dios and makos are just yeah, that's just coursing through my veins. We really appreciate your time today. This was a great discussion. Um, you know, we really appreciate your thoughts uh, into into the industry and. Uh, course we always love our our segues and and tangents those are fun too so so thank you for joining us thanks so much for having me and i'd love to be back uh, yeah we'd love, if, you, if you'd come back we'd love You're to have welcome you welcome anytime thanks i appreciate it okay. all right take care bye-bye all right. that's about all we have for this week you can find us on twitter at domain tools All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. Click.